Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast. My name is Zach Kroll, and we are here today to talk some football after a crazy week two of the NFL, which included a crazy Thursday night game between the New York Giants and the Washington football team. An okay one o'clock slate. There were, I feel like, a lot of swappy moments throughout those one o'clock games. Unfortunately, we saw some quarterbacks get hurt, which we're going to get into a little bit later in today's show. But I think overall, we could agree it was a pretty entertaining week of football. And then the four o'clock games, boom, that's when everything started rolling. The ending of uh, Arizona, Minnesota, and the Chargers and the Cowboys, and even the Titans and the Seahawks. That was the last game going on. There were so many great endings. There are so many great games to talk about, and I can't wait to do it with you guys today. Before we get into it, though, I just wanted to remind you guys, if you have any questions for me, you want to get in contact with me, my social media, Instagram, Z-A-C underscore K-R-U-L-L. The Twitter, Z-K-R-U-L-L-3. YouTube, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y-K-R-U-L-L. Every segment from the Zach Curl Sports Podcast will be posted right to the YouTube channel for you guys to listen anytime you want. And let's talk some football. Wanted to say thank you guys for listening. And here it is, another episode of the Zach Curl Sports Podcast. Without further ado, it is now time to start off Today's show, every way we start off the Tuesday edition of the Zach Curl Sports Podcast with my 10 takeaways of the week. So boys, without further ado, hit the music. Let's get to it. Takeaway number one, it was hard really not to be impressed with Lamar Jackson and the competitive spirit of the Baltimore Ravens. And I totally understand. There are going to be plenty of Kansas City Chief fans that look at this game on Sunday Night Football and are pretty concerned. The Chiefs had many different ways to just completely put this game away. And unfortunately, they were not able to get the job done. That is going to be one of the more frustrating losses in the Mahomes and Andy Reid era. However, I do think if you are the Kansas City Chiefs, it's one game. A lot of things had to happen for the Chiefs to lose that did. And the odds of that happening again are pretty slim. The bottom line is, if the Chiefs have one concern, it's their run defense. They need to get that fixed. It needs to get better quickly if they're going to want to win games. But it's just hard not to be really impressed with Lamar Jackson. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. The Ravens don't really have a choice right now but to pay him. He's that good. He's that special. And he really just put the team on his back and was able to win the Baltimore Ravens the game on Sunday Night Football. The defense came up with plenty of big-time plays, including forcing the turnover on Edwards Alaire, including forcing Mahomes into his first career interception in the month of September, which is just one of the more crazy stats I've ever seen in my years of watching football. Shout out to the Ravens. We're going to get into this later in the show. Takeaway number two. It was really good to see King Henry back where he belongs, just putting the Tennessee Titans on his back. There is not many players in the NFL better than this guy. And when it comes to Derrick Henry and the last couple years, I feel like it is time to start talking about just how historic this run has been. 
literally since the middle of the 2019 season, not only has this guy been the clear best running back in the NFL, but he's playing at a Hall of Fame level. Like, this guy is unreal. 183 yards and three touchdowns on Sunday in a game in Seattle, a place where the road team really never wins in front of fans. The first game in front of fans, in front of the 12th man since COVID. And Derrick Henry was just able to put the team on his back and get the job done. And here's the scary thing. Realize this guy caught five passes for over 50 yards total. If he can get his game going as a receiver, which is the one thing if you were going to critique Derrick Henry's game that he hasn't done, oh man, this guy is just that good. The Titans defense is still a major concern. The Titans offensive coordinator is still a main concern. He came in from the Raiders, and I remember when uh, he was the coordinator for the Raiders it really wasn't good Todd Downing the name of the Titans offensive coordinator when he was in charge in Vegas it wasn't good but Derrick Henry I feel like is just that good of a player where he could just literally make any coordinator good that's how special he is what a win for the Tennessee Titans in a game they needed to have when the Colts lost to go to 0-2 Jaguars used to go to 0-2 the Titans are 1-1 the Texans are 1-1 both of those teams now are tied in top of the AFC South. Takeaway number three, it was hard to watch not only the amount of quarterbacks that went down during Sunday's game, but really throughout the whole season, I feel like there have just been a crazy amount of injuries in general between Carson Wentz and Tua Tugavailoa and Tyrod Taylor, Baker Mayfield and Derek Carr even had scares. And look, I don't claim to be some kind of medical expert when it comes to football and the possible effect that playing or not playing could have when it comes to the preseason, but I just feel like there have been a crazy amount of injuries so far during the NFL season, and it's concerning. We watch football to see the best players, and just seeing all these injuries happen, it sucks. Like, Derek Carr has been... Really one of the best players in the NFL to start the season. And the Raiders get off to their best start. And it feels like a while. And I know they've started off 2-0 before. And they've really uh, struggled to end the last couple regular seasons. But the amount of injuries was just terrible. And I just hope these guys can get healthy. Tua Tugavailoa is a young quarterback that I think once he went down, the Dolphins just really lost faith and were never really... They never really had a chance to win because they couldn't hold on to the ball. They just played so sloppy, and their offensive line was a disaster. I mean, um, did you guys see the play Tua got hurt on? It was a fourth down, and the Bills' pass rusher came in unblocked and got a big, big hit on the young Dolphins quarterback, Tugavailoa. It just sucks to see all these quarterbacks going down. It also sucks that Tyrod Taylor got hurt. It is looking like Davis Mills is going to be under center for the Houston Texans going forward. They will play on Thursday night football this week against the Panthers. Sucks to see all these quarterbacks go down. Takeaway number four. I guess that's a good job by the Dallas Cowboys going into L.A., playing in front of a bunch of Cowboy fans and getting the win over the Chargers on the Greg Zerline 56-yard field goal. For the win, and the Cowboys deserve credit no matter who it's against, how you get the job done. Winning a road game in the NFL 
is never something that should be taken for granted. And considering the fact the Cowboys were one of the few teams in the NFL to start their season with two road games, getting past that one in one is something you would always sign up for. And they deserve credit once again. But I don't trust Mike McCarthy as a head coach. I just don't. And I feel like the main reason why the Los Angeles Chargers lost this game was because of their own doing. It was the amount of penalties, and I get the refs didn't help. But Justin Herbert played fine. I think for the people who are saying he's already starting to to regress, just really aren't watching the games close enough. Because if you watched week one against the Washington football team, like Justin Herbert was really the only reason why the Chargers won that game. And based on his four, his clutch third down throws, I think the Chargers will be fine as long as they clean the penalties up. That was just such a bad way to lose a game. But at the same time, it's just typical Los Angeles Chargers, if I'm being honest with you. There are very few teams in the NFL that have lost that amount of games in that frustrating of a fashion like the Chargers, and I totally understand why their fans would be frustrated after a loss like that, but keep the faith. I get the AFC West is tough. You gave the game away. If you just limit the penalties, I'm sure you'll be fine, but Dallas, Mike McCarthy, almost giving the game away on that field goal. I mean, look, Mike McCarthy, I've said it once, I've said it again, the biggest con man in the NFL. Takeaway number five, Taylor Heineke should have been named the Washington football team's starting quarterback from the beginning of the season. And I respect Ryan Fitzpatrick and everything that he has been able to do throughout his career. He's the definition of a good journeyman, top-notch backup quarterback. But for a team like Washington, who has a really good defense, and I think has a good head coach, and really has good skill position players around the quarterback position, they should have known that at no point in Ryan Fitzpatrick's career... Has he been a guy that has been able to start all 17 games throughout an NFL season? And it only took one game for him to go down. But look, we saw what this kid Taylor Heineke was able to do during that playoff game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was super impressive. Of all the quarterbacks that the defending Super Bowl champions played during that stretch, right? Between the Aaron Rodgers of the world and Patrick Mahomes and Taylor Heineke, it was Heineke that gave the defending Super Bowl champion Buccaneers, Drew Brees in that conversation as well, the biggest challenge of anyone. And they deserve a lot of credit for that. Shout out to the Washington football team and, my God, the New York Giants. I mean, how many opportunities did the New York Giants have to win this football game? Their play calling was way too conservative. And it sucks if you're a Giant fan because the main concern for me going into this game was the offense between the offensive line not being able to block the Washington football team's pass rush and Daniel Jones under center at quarterback. And both of those units played, I thought, as well as they could. This was one of Daniel Jones' better games played as a New York Giant. And still, they were not able to get the job done. They choked the game away. Dexter Lawrence obviously lining lining up offsides. Brutal. Brutal loss for the Giants. Takeaway number six. We spoke a little bit about the Miami Dolphins-Buffalo Bills game when it came to the young quarterbacks. I wanted to get into that one also. Look, for the people that are saying the Dolphins should just bail on Tua Tagovailoa for Deshaun Watson, I just don't think still at this point, even no matter how desperate you are, 
when it comes to the quarterback position. The Texans are going to want multiple first-round picks for this guy, and given all his off-the-field questions and the risks that come with that, I just don't see how exactly a team could trade for him at this point until all of the off-the-field questions are taken care of. And if I'm Miami, look, they could have drafted Trey Lance if they didn't trade the number three overall pick to San Francisco. They could have drafted Justin Fields or Mac Jones, but they decided to go with Tua Tugavailoa and keep him. And they had to realize by making that decision, they're going all in with Tua. And unfortunately, his season hasn't gotten off to the best start. Right now, Brian Flores said he is considered day-to-day. The Dolphins have a big game coming up at uh, on the road against the Las Vegas Raiders. That's a game that you would preferably want to win. It could be tough. But Miami just didn't show up in that game once Tua got hurt. Really, even before he got hurt. The Dolphins' offensive line was an absolute disgrace. It played terrible, and they need to play better. I was very surprised. As good of a coach as Brian Flores is, right? And as great of a job as he has done since he's gotten to Miami, he hasn't been able to beat the Buffalo Bills. And the frustrating part is, I don't think Buffalo played great. Like, watch Josh Allen the first two games of the season. He's playing much closer to 2018 and 2019 Josh Allen, who, quite frankly, wasn't very good. Opposed to 2020 Josh Allen, who was obviously an MVP candidate. He needs to play better if Buffalo wants to win. Takeaway number seven, it was a tough day for the rookie quarterbacks, mostly Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. And look, Trevor Lawrence has never lost a regular season game in his life, it feels like, before he got to Jacksonville. And he's now lost two games in a row, and it sucks. He barely threw for over 120 yards yesterday. He didn't. He threw for 118 yards. And the bottom line is this, he's an elite, elite, elite prospect, but He can't do it all by himself. There's a reason why the Jacksonville Jaguars are on a streak of losing 17 football games in a row. That is just unheard of. And his head coach, to be honest, based on his body language again for the second straight week in a row, that dude, Urban Meyer, just looked miserable on the sideline. If that continues, the Jaguars aren't winning many games. And I worry for Trevor Lawrence. I really do. I don't know if he's in a great position to succeed. Now, when it comes to Zach Wilson, I just think he needs to play a little bit smarter. Jets head coach Robert Sala hinted at it uh, after the game. Sometimes boring football is the best football to be played. And I just feel like this was a tough spot for the Jets, man. Going up against a Bill Belichick coach defense. And if you follow the NFL, you will know that historically, Bill Belichick has owned rookie quarterbacks throughout his career. It was a tough spot. With that being said, the throws and the decision-making has to be better for Zach Wilson. The Jets' defense wasn't terrible. I think the frustrating part about this game is, if you're a Jet fan, is that I don't think he played particularly bad outside the quarterback. It's just so hard to win games when your quarterback is out here throwing four interceptions. That obviously isn't putting your team in the best position as possible to win. I feel for Zach Wilson. I feel for the Jets. I feel for the rookie quarterbacks. It's a tough start. A guy who has gotten off to the opposite of a tough start is Kyler Murray. And I don't know how the Arizona Cardinals found a way to win that game. I guess the best explanation I have for you guys is Minnesota Viking going to Minnesota Viking. I mean, have they had a kicker ever? I feel like every time the Vikings are in a position to win a game, 
via the field goal, it doesn't get done, especially in the biggest spots when you look at Morton Anderson and Blair Walsh. And this continued with Greg Joseph, because even though the Minnesota Vikings defense is an absolute disaster, and that's bad because Mike Zimmer is a defensive guy. He came over a couple, or more than a couple years ago. He's been a good coach for the Vikings for about seven years now. He was obviously a defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Vikings built their team well. Like, I don't think the general manager, Rick Spielman, is at fault, even though if the Vikings miss the playoffs, he'll end up getting the boot. And you just can't lose games like this, man. They're so deflating. Kirk Cousins actually played really well. He put the Vikings in a position to win. But unfortunately, the kicker just couldn't get it done, missing a 37-yard field goal at the buzzer. And even though they play in a, a weak NFC North, I think the Vikings are in trouble. I think Mike Zimmer could be gone by season's end. And it's unfortunate because he hasn't done a terrible job. But the last two years, the Vikings have been some of the more disappointing teams in the NFL. And once again, it's two games. Like, this season can turn around. But the Vikings now have a home game against the Seattle Seahawks. That is going to be tough, especially against Seattle, a team that is coming off a tough loss in their own right. But Minnesota's offense should be good. Between Kirk Cousins, who I get it isn't the best quarterback. But look at the weapons around him. Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. They have names on the defense. Daniel Hunter is back, Harrison Smith. And still, the Vikings can't win football games. I would be frustrated if I was a Viking fan. Tyler Murray's a magician. Phenomenal. But Arizona really did not deserve to win that game considering how it ended. Takeaway number nine. I think Derek Carr is playing the best football of his career. And it's crazy because last year and really the year before that, The thing with the Raiders have been, they've obviously gotten off to some good starts, but they just haven't been able to finish the job off and get it done. And I never thought Derek Carr was the problem with this team. Their defense sucked. It was embarrassingly bad. Their drafting has not been good between Cleveland Furl and Damon Arnett and Alex Leatherwood, who I get it. He's only played in two games. But the key point with all three of those draft picks, right, is that Gruden reached for them. And if he really wanted them, the Raiders should have just traded back and added extra value. But John Gruden isn't about that. However, this offense is really good, and it's came to play. I personally, up until last week, was not the biggest Henry Ruggs fan. I think he had Darius Hayward Bay written all over him. But he played well on Sunday, made a couple really big catches, including the bomb from Carr. Brian Edwards looks like a player. And if I'm a Raider fan, considering Darren Waller was shut down for the majority of this game, Josh Jacobs wasn't even playing. Your offensive line obviously lost so many guys from last year's squad. No more Rodney Hudson, no more Gabe Jackson. Obviously, Richie Incognito's hurt. And still, the Raiders are finding a way to win games. John Gruden, he's totally in over his head. I get it. But he has a smart offensive mind. He has this offense humming. It seems like a lot of Raider fans, unlike the Chargers, have shifted to Las Vegas and are loyal and are showing up to that stadium rooting for their team. I think the atmosphere for Sunday's game against the Miami Dolphins should be electric. And the Raiders are definitely one of the top storylines in the NFL. Ben Roethlisberger looks horrible. I'm concerned about him. I'm concerned about the Steelers' offensive line. That is definitely another storyline to monitor going forward. And finally, to end the 10 uh, takeaways of the week segment, Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts, man. It's tough because I remember early on in this game against the Los Angeles Rams, Carson Wentz threw that shovel pass interception, which quite frankly could have been one of the worst plays I've ever seen by a quarterback. 
And after that shovel pass, shortly after, he made some plays. He didn't play terrible, but he gets hurt. He has sprains in both ankles, and he wasn't able to come out for the last drive of the game. Jacob Eason throws an interception, and that was all she wrote. The Colts are historically a team that has gotten off to some slow starts, but at the same time, that loss is just more frustrating than ever. If I'm a Colts fan, it's tough, man. The AFC South is a wide-open division, even though the Titans were able to pull out a win against the Seahawks. But now, in a big-time Week 3 game, on the road in Tennessee in a divisional matchup that you have to win to avoid an 0-3 start, you're really going with Jacob Eason as your starting quarterback? That's tough. Carson Wentz, if I'm the Colts, I don't regret trading for him just because I don't necessarily know what other choice they had. I mean, look, the Colts made the playoffs last year with Phillip Rivers at quarterback who is currently coaching high school football. I don't necessarily think that great quarterback play was the reason why the Colts were good last year. And I feel like if I'm a Colts fan, that's why I'm more frustrated right now than ever before, just because you don't necessarily need great quarterback play to win. But at the same time, the Colts offensive line, it's been super banged up. We know what happened to Quentin Nelson. Braden Smith didn't play in this game. Eric Fisher was his first game back. And the Colts just need to get healthy quickly or else they could be in trouble once again. Every time this conversation comes up, I just think, what if Andrew Luck would have never retired? Those are my 10 takeaways of the week. Love doing this segment to start off each and every episode of the Zach Crow Sports Podcast. Moving on to the next segment of today's show, I wanted to talk about what could have been the game of the week in the NFL in week two, Sunday night football, the Baltimore Ravens led by Lamar Jackson and coach John Harbaugh somehow, some way, find a way to get the W to move to one and one as they beat the Ravens in a they beat the Chiefs in a comeback win by a final score of 36 to 35 and I was so impressed with not only the way Lamar Jackson played in this game but really the competitive spirit that he was able to show for this Baltimore Raven team and really I was just impressed with the way the Ravens were able to fight back in this game against what I think is the best team in the AFC and when you consider the circumstances this could have been the best win and biggest win of Lamar Jackson's career and let me explain why I'm not gonna lie you guys heard me say it on last week's show going into this game I was a little bit concerned about the Baltimore Ravens just because every year in the NFL, we see a team in training camp towards the end, right before the season is about to start, just get decimated by injuries. You guys know the Ravens lose Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins and Justice Hill and also Marcus Peters, some of the more important players in that locker room. And when you combine that with The way the Ravens played in week one, and I totally understand, I picked the Raiders on that Monday night game to win, and the Ravens defense really didn't impress me in that game. I was disappointed in the way that Don Wink Martindale, someone who usually is one of the better defensive coordinators in the NFL, someone who has been rightfully considered 
for some NFL head coaching jobs over the last couple of years. He failed to adjust in that game uh, by blitzing and throwing the house at Derek Carr for literally the whole entire game. And the two times the Raiders uh, thought that they, that they had won, if you remember, Carr hit Brian Edwards for what was thought to be the game-winning touchdown. He ultimately was stopped at the one-yard line, and the uh, Raiders ended up throwing an interception on that drive, but later they get the ball back in overtime, and they find a way to get the win. The Ravens were blitzing at Derek Carr the whole game, and he was just picking them apart. And going into this game, Lamar Jackson, as great of, of a career that he has had so far since he's gotten to the NFL, he's won an MVP, he's won a playoff game, he has been one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the NFL, he has not been able to beat Patrick Mahomes before this past Sunday Night Football's game. And I think when it comes to Lamar Jackson, it's weird because we all agree he is one of the eight best quarterbacks in the league. And when you watch him play, his athleticism just pops directly off of your TV screen. And as time has gone on, I feel like the more and more people he's been proving wrong and the more and more people who watch him end up saying, wow, this guy, even though he has some flaws, is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and he could play for my team any day of the week. But early on in this game, I'm not going to lie, when Lamar was out here throwing interception after interception to Tyron Matthew, if you remember in the first quarter, the Honey Badger uh, brought it back all the way for a pick six, which ended up giving Kansas City the early lead. And until Baltimore scored that late touchdown, that ended up being the difference in the game. What I was so impressed with uh, when it comes to Baltimore in this spot was their competitive spirit. There were many times, especially when you're playing a team like Kansas City, that you could just give up and you just say, wow, this Chiefs offense is so dynamic. They're so good. They're so hard to stop. And the Ravens easily could have just caved in and lost this game. But what ultimately was the difference here was the competitive spirit that Lamar Jackson was able to show in this spot. And you could tell. I noticed it really directly when he threw that jump touchdown pass to Hollywood Brown, he was going absolutely nuts. The scene and the atmosphere in Baltimore looked unreal. If you remember uh, the actor who played Omar from The Wire, a show that took place in Baltimore, the Raven fans were doing the whistling to honor him. Ray Lewis was in the building. Not only did he get the Ravens crowd super hyped up, but they zoomed in on Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes after Ray came out. And you could tell Pat was like, wow, I'm hyped up. I'm ready to play. And Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, when they were not even close to 100% healthy, they find a way to take that direct punch from Kansas City and somehow, someway, find a way to win. And going into this season, I had been on the record saying that the AFC is more deep and more competitive than it's ever been. There are so many teams, I think, that are really close in the AFC when it comes to talent. And that's what makes the NFL such a great sport. When you look at all of the teams in the NFC North, they are all one and one The Bengals, the Browns, the Steelers, and the Ravens, all four of those teams have had some nice, impressive wins. They're all one and one The only two teams in the AFC that have a record of 2-0 and right now are the Las Vegas Raiders 
and the Denver Broncos. If you would have said at the beginning of the season that uh, the only two remaining 2-0 teams after two weeks would both be from the AFC West, odds are most people would have said it's Kansas City and it's the Chargers. A lot of people were very high on this young Charger team going into the season, and we're going to get into their game against the Dallas Cowboys a little bit later on in the show. But those two teams in the AFC are now 2-0. And I think the AFC conference as a whole is just so deep and it's just so competitive. And I was so impressed with Lamar Jackson and his competitive spirit that he was able to show in this game against the Kansas City Chiefs. And really, that's what he's done throughout his whole career. Many people labeled Lamar Jackson coming out of college as a running back. And he is now one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And he is an elite talent. When it comes to Lamar Jackson, I've said this a lot. I don't understand why immediately when he comes up in conversations, a lot of the times people will just immediately point to his weaknesses, right? I totally understand that when it comes to just throwing the football, Lamar Jackson isn't the best at that. But he is the best running quarterback I have ever seen. And we saw in this game, that's what it took for the Ravens to win. And one thing, uh, a couple things actually, I will give Coach Harbaugh credit for is a lot of times when it comes to Kansas City, right? We all know how dynamic their offense is. And by the way, if you're a Chiefs fan, I'm not totally panicking. I still think right now you are the best team in the AFC. And when this game is played, I would say 8 out of 10 times, odds are you're going to win. Mahomes had a really good game. Kelsey had that great touchdown. But Mahomes made a a costly interception in the fourth quarter. Tyreek Hill was shut down for basically the whole game. Shout out to the Ravens secondary for doing that. We saw last week, Cleveland will tell you, that is not an easy thing to do. And the Baltimore Ravens found a way to win. But Coach Harbaugh was really the first coach that I have seen since Kansas City and Mahomes became this unstoppable force that used the formula of if you run the ball and keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, you could really win. What I have seen previously, and I think we saw it a little bit, not only in the week one game for Kansas City against Cleveland, but also in that playoff game against Cleveland last year, was that even though Cleveland is a really good team when it comes to running the football, it doesn't matter because Patrick Mahomes could just strike at any time, in any moment. We saw that big, long touchdown that he threw to Tyreek Hill in that game uh, against Cleveland in week one, and Coach Harbaugh said, we're running the ball right down Kansas City's throats. I think if you're a Chief fan, that is really the number one concern you have after this game, is that your defense, especially in the front seven against Ravens backups on the offensive line. The one guy I didn't even mention for Baltimore that didn't play in this game was Ronnie Stanley, their left tackle who got hurt towards the back end of last year. And the Ravens still paid him a big contract. They actually paid him the contract and he got hurt literally the next game. I feel bad for that guy. But Al Villanueva, the former Steeler that got absolutely abused by the Raiders defensive end Max Crosby in week one, he stepped up. Patrick Mercari, who was moved to right tackle, he stepped up. And I said when it came to the Ravens, if they can't block, I don't know how they're going to win football games. Luckily for them, in this game, they were able to block and they were able to win. And Lamar Jackson deserves so much credit 
Um, he said after the game, the noise will go away, then we'll come back somehow. It's uh, it's going to always be like that as long as I'm playing, so I don't really care about it. I'm just going to keep playing. And leading up to the game, Lamar Jackson downplayed any personal rivalry that he had with Patrick Mahomes. But let's face it, if the Baltimore Ravens want to be considered one of the top contenders in the AFC, this was a game that they had to have. I remember watching these two teams play in Baltimore on Monday Night Football last year, and going into the game, the Ravens were talking. They made it known how personal it was with them in Kansas City and how much they wanted to beat the Chiefs, and the Chiefs just boat raced them. And when it comes to Patrick Mahomes and his history in the month of September, he threw his first interception in the month of September in this game. And ultimately, that's what, that's what uh, was the turning point. I was really impressed with the young uh, pass rusher Baltimore drafted Owe from Penn State. He was a huge difference maker in this game. Baltimore was also missing Rashad Bateman, the young wide receiver from Minnesota, who they drafted in the first round that they were expecting to make a big time impact, but he he was injured. So Lamar Jackson just said, you know what, Hollywood Brown, you know what, Sammy Watkins, you guys are going to be my go-to guys tonight. And that one Hollywood Brown touchdown was really nice. If you remember, Hollywood last year was in the news for complaining about how the Ravens used him offensively. I think he's okay with it now. And it was just such a big win for Lamar Jackson. I was so impressed with his competitive spirit and how he was able to go head-to-head with Patrick Mahomes and somehow, some way, the Ravens' defense made enough plays to get them the win in this spot. And hopefully this gives them confidence going forward. The Ravens are a team that has a lot to play for. I did say that going into the season, this was a team that... Given all of the injuries they had, I thought they may be in trouble. But you look at their next three games, at Detroit, at Denver, home against Indianapolis. If they could go 2-1 and one in that stretch, let's see what happens. Hopefully they get healthier and healthier throughout the season. Right now, if you ask me, are the Ravens a playoff team? Yes or no? It's really hard to say. I'm leaning no just because of the amount of injuries. I don't know if it's sustainable. But at the same time, I didn't think there was any way the Ravens were going to be able to beat the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. And I understand usually in most circumstances, if the game played out the way it did, Kansas City would have won. But uh, forcing that fumble on Clyde Edwards-Alaire was the difference. And if you're a Chief fan, we'll get into this in a later episode, I'd be officially worried about him. If you're drafting a running back in the first round, you guys know how I feel. It has to be an impact player in order for the pick to work out. Right now, that pick isn't looking great for the Chiefs, even though technically... Edwards Alaire was a first round pick. So when I look at the Baltimore Ravens, they're going to be a fascinating team going forward. They have a game they really should win coming up this week against Detroit, but then next four after that at Denver, home Indy, home against the Chargers, and then a divisional home game against the Cincinnati Bengals. They don't play Pittsburgh or Cleveland until week 12. And then Baltimore, uh, their later games in the season will be filled with division matchup so that's gonna be good but once again it was a heck of a game on Sunday Night Football props to Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens props to coach Harbaugh for having the confidence in his quarterback to go for it on fourth and one and not only that but the pass with Lamar Jackson on third and seven that showed me he had absolute faith in his quarterback what a win by the Ravens great job moving on to the next segment of today's show I wanted to talk about 
the Dallas Cowboys and their victory during the Sunday 4.30 window over the Los Angeles Chargers. I get the game was technically in Los Angeles, but if you really watch the game, given all of the Cowboy fans that made their way to the new beautiful SoFi Stadium out in LA, it really did sound like it was a Cowboys home game. And somehow, some way, the Cowboys ended up getting the win. Final score 20 to 17 on a Greg Zerline game winning field goal at the buzzer to give Dallas the victory. And a couple things I wanted to talk about. If you've listened to this show, you guys would know that going into the season, I picked Dallas to finish in just typical vintage Dallas Cowboys form with a record of eight and nine. Obviously now with the 17 game season, Dallas can finish eight and eight. I feel like over the past couple years, more than that, really over the past 10 to 15 years, that eight and eight record has really been the consistent Dallas Cowboy record when it comes to the full 16 game season. And I expected them going into this year to be around a 500 football team. And I think the crazy thing is, When you look at this NFC East, from a talent perspective, we could all agree Dallas has the most talented roster in the division. And a lot of that has to do with their starting quarterback. Dak Prescott, really over the last two games and even before that, is the best quarterback in this division, especially now when you consider... Everything going on with Washington, I do think Taylor Heineke is the best option for them at quarterback going forward, even with Ryan Fitzpatrick, if he was healthy. Uh, You guys know how I feel about Daniel Jones. I get he played well on Thursday night football. I'm still not the biggest believer in him, and I like Jalen Hurts, but he still has a whole lot to prove. Dak Prescott certainly has done more, and next week, Monday night football, Dallas and Philly will battle, so that should be one heck of a game, Uh, both of those teams sitting at one and one. In week one, the Cowboys played very well against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I was really impressed with how Dak Prescott looked, even after everything that went on in training camp, considering, obviously, the devastating ankle injury that he suffered last year, and then the shoulder injury that he had uh, lingering him in camp. Like He's looked really good over the first two games, and I totally understand that on Sunday against the Chargers, <coughs> excuse me, I don't even think he played particularly well. He played okay. I think he made enough plays to end up getting the Dallas Cowboys the victory. <coughs> excuse me. But at the same time, I do think that Dak and the rest of this Cowboy team, for the second week in a row, they it, they were in a close game. They had plenty of opportunities. But at the same time... They didn't play their best game. And I think in week one, they played really well, but that was just a matter of the Buccaneers being what I thought was the better, more talented team. And when it comes to Tampa Bay, I think we saw this in their week two game against Atlanta. They're just so tough to beat. Even when you think you're right back in the game, Tom Brady could just strike at any time. And we all know how good that Buccaneer offense is. And I think Dallas gave them their best shot. Even with their best shot, Tampa Bay was not able to get the job done. But in this game, it was a different story. The Chargers gave this game away. I think they had many opportunities to win this game down the stretch. And unfortunately, they just couldn't take advantage of it. And the one thing that if you're a fan of the Los Angeles Chargers just absolutely kills you in this spot 
was the number of penalties that your team took throughout the game. And I understand the refs didn't help you. I get that really not every one of those calls was a penalty. But at the same time, that's just an excuse in my opinion. I know that Justin Herbert really was not down on that call when the referees called the sack and they gave him forward progress. But still, it's one bad call. If you're a good football team, you need to find a way to win that game. The main point and the main takeaway I have from this game, however, is that I am just still not the biggest believer in this Dallas Cowboy team. And I'm not really 100% sure why. I just told you guys to start off this show, I think they are the most talented team in the division. And they really don't have any excuses not to win this division, especially after week two, they came away with a really impressive road victory over these Los Angeles Chargers. However, there were just many things throughout the game that made me concerned with the Cowboys. Now, if you've listened to this show, another key point when it comes to Dallas that I've mentioned is I am not a fan of Mike McCarthy. I think that during his years in Green Bay, even though the Packers had a great run and they consistently won divisions, I think if they have a better coach, there is a really good chance that Aaron Rodgers is sitting here now with more than one Super Bowl ring. And Mike McCarthy just didn't have the Packers ready to play in so many big games. That NFC Championship game against Seattle is the one that stands out to me the most when he was just continuing to kick short field goals on fourth uh, and near the goal line. And ultimately, if you remember, the Seahawks had the big comeback, and that's what ended up winning them that NFC Championship game, along with the onside kick fumble uh, by Brandon Bostic. That is a play that is going to live in Packers fans' dreams and nightmares. And Dallas brought in Mike McCarthy before last year. And the craziest thing about Mike McCarthy was that He took the 2019 season off, and he made it clear that during that 2019 season, his his first year off from coaching in a while, he became Mr. Analytic. He made everything known to Jerry Jones in his interviews that he was just really an analytic guy now. He said he watched every play of the 2019 season from an analytical perspective. That was the exact quote that this guy used. And then later in his introductory press conference, he said he was lying to Jerry Jones just so that he could get the job. I call Mike McCarthy the biggest con man in the NFL. However, I'll actually give him credit where credit is due. I think that Kellen Moore, the way that he's been calling plays has been really good. Obviously, Kellen Moore was one of the few guys who stayed over from the previous regime with Jason Garrett. And he's one of the better offensive coordinators in the NFL. I think Dallas's play calling over their first two games has been really, really impressive, really balanced. I also like how Mike McCarthy didn't really care that his $90 million running back wasn't necessarily the best running back on his team. And he gave Tony Pollard more carries because flat out, I'll say it, I just think Tony Pollard right now looks better than Ezekiel Elliott. So I'm not even having a problem with Mike McCarthy running the the hot hand when it comes to the running back position. I think Tony Pollard looked really good in this game. And if you're a Cowboy fan, you have reason to be excited that he is going to hopefully have a much bigger impact in this offense. However, as soon as I started to give Mike McCarthy 
just some props based on the way the Cowboys were playing in this in this game. Then the field goal happened to end the game. And I'll, I said it once, I'll say it again. Greg Zerline, man, Mike McCarthy is lucky because Greg Zerline really bailed out the Cowboys in this spot. If he misses that kick, Mike McCarthy is getting crushed throughout radio and sports TV programming today based on the way he handled the clock in that situation. And after the game... He tried to give an, ex- an explanation on what happened. He said the his view of the clock was blocked. Then it came off the screen. Kellen Moore's view of the scoreboard was blocked. And to be honest with you, it just sounded like an answer that I would give my dad if he caught me red-handed with my hand in the cookie jar before dinner. Like, it was that bad of an answer. And I just don't trust Mike McCarthy to be the uh, uh, winning head coach for this Dallas Cowboys team in the future. Now, they found a way to get the job done, and I do think the NFC East is still very much winnable and is still in their reach, just because, once again, I don't really think the division is particularly good, and Dallas is the most talented team in the division. But at the same time, I think the Chargers lost this game more than the Cowboys won it. And I do think Monday Night Football coming up this week, Eagles-Cowboys, that is going to be such a huge game because... Even though the Eagles lost to the 49ers and they lost Brandon Graham, which is just a devastating injury for the Eagles. He's going to be out for the season with a torn Achilles. They also lost Brandon Brooks in that game, one of the better offensive linemen in the league. I think we saw last year just how the Eagles looked without him in the lineup. It wasn't very good. He's not going to be out for the season, but he's going to be out uh, for the next couple weeks. It will be apparent that he is going to be missing the Monday night game against Dallas coming up. And if you're the Cowboys, the bottom line is... Even with the amount of injuries you had, that Monday night game is a game you got to win. However, one thing I was really impressed with with Dallas was Micah Parsons. And when it comes to Mike McCarthy, I still don't trust him, but I'll give him credit for this also. Demarcus Lawrence got hurt. And not only did he didn't get hurt in a game, he got hurt in practice. Like, at least when you get hurt in a game. It feels like it's inevitable. There's nothing you could really do. He was putting everything on the line in a game situation to help his team win. But when you get hurt in practice and no one sees it and all of a sudden it's just boom, you're out, that sucks. And it's just a real gut punch. When you combine that with everything going on with Lyle Collins, he didn't even show up to a drug test. That just means he basically knew he was going to fail. And he didn't only miss the drug test once. Like It was a multiple-time thing. So if you're the Cowboys, that's not something you want to hear. Obviously, Zach Martin was back in the lineup, but he was uh, out in the early portion of the season with COVID. And the Cowboys just had a lot of injuries and a lot of forks in the road. But they realized that Micah Parsons, even though he hasn't played defensive end and has put his hasn't put his foot, his hand in the ground uh, since his high school days, the Cowboys made the adjustment to put him at defensive end. And I think that and he was able to get a lot of pressure on Justin Herbert, and that was one of the main reasons I thought why the Cowboys won. Justin Herbert didn't play particularly bad. I thought he made a couple really nice throws, but the Cowboys were able to get just enough pressure for them to win. If you're a Charger fan, it's the same old story. The amount of penalties you had in this game just killed you, and it's crazy because on this show last week, I gave the Chargers a lot of credit after they were able to go on the road and beat the Washington football team in a close game. Just because, historically, that is not a game the Chargers win. I feel like there is not a more cursed team in the NFL than the Chargers when it just comes to the amount of close games they always lose. And the fact that 
You were the better team in this game. You were just penalized throughout. And Greg Zerlon hits a 56-yard field goal at the buzzer to win after in week one, he literally couldn't make anything for Dallas. I mean, he did make that kick to give Dallas the lead, but early in the game, he missed an extra point. He missed a chip shot field goal, which I think ultimately did cost Dallas. But good job rebounding. And the Cowboys are a team that I just think has a lot to prove. They deserve some credit for just finding a way to win this game in Los Angeles. One thing about the NFL, a win is a win is a win, and you're never going to regret it. Unlike college, you don't need style points in the games you do win. So the Cowboys do deserve some credit for that. But I'm worried about this team going forward. I still don't trust Mike McCarthy. I think they were lucky to get away with the win. And they just need to play better. They need to be coached better. And what does Mike McCarthy do well? Not much. I don't really know what exactly he brings to the table as a head coach. Dallas and Philly Monday Night Football should be a really good game. Moving on to the last and final segment of today's show, I wanted to talk about a team that, I'm not going to lie, historically, this isn't the team that on most Mondays after a full slate of NFL Sundays, people aren't always rushing to talk about the Carolina Panthers, especially given what exactly the team has done since Cam Newton and Ron Rivera and that crazy 2016 team, or 2015 team, I should say, that ended up going all the way to the Super Bowl. They went 15-1. Like, that was one of the better NFL teams I've ever watched. And really since then, the Carolina Panthers have been struggling to get to the playoffs and a winning record. And when you look at the Carolina Panthers, This is actually a team that going into the season was my sleeper team. I looked at Matt Rule and the job that last year he was able to do with, let's face it, it wasn't a great roster, and it starts at the quarterback. Now, I totally understand that Teddy Bridgewater, at least to start off this season with the Denver Broncos, has been one of the bigger surprises in the NFL. However, The more I look at the Denver Broncos roster, it's significantly better than Carolina's was last year. And when the Broncos announced that they were going to start Teddy Bridgewater at QB over Drew Locke, it kind of pointed to me that Vic Fangio was just going in the direction of, we have one of the better rosters in the NFL. We just didn't trust Drew Locke as a quarterback to not screw it up, basically. And Teddy Bridgewater is the perfect quarterback who he isn't really going to give you all the explosive plays in the playbook. But one thing you can count on with Teddy is that he's not going to make mistakes. He is not going to turn the ball over. And Carolina, I think when it came to their quarterback position, they needed a little bit more of a playmaker. But I think the way the Panthers built this team and the job Matt Rule has done since he's gotten there has really made Carolina a quarterback-friendly place because look at the weapons around the quarterback position. Christian McCaffrey struggled to stay healthy last year, but we could all agree, when this guy is healthy, he is one of the best running backs in the NFL. He is phenomenal to watch. He's so talented. He could do everything out of the backfield. He could catch. He could run. He could block. He is one of not only the best running backs in the league, but one of the best players in the league. 
And then you combine that with the receivers. I'm a huge fan of DJ Moore. He is an explosive play guy. I think he is someone that is only going to get better from here on out. Robbie Anderson, the former New York Jet, he's a guy that can make big-time plays. And I think Carolina was a perfect place for Sam Darnold to go to. I totally understand that everyone is going to look at Zach Wilson and everything that he's done with the New York Jets so far and compare that to Sam Darnold and how Carolina's season has started off. But Sam Darnold, in my opinion, just needed a change of scenery. I really believe if he was on the New York Jets, he still would not really be getting the job done and fulfilling fans' expectations in New York just based on everything that was built around him. In a three-year span, he had two coaches in Todd Bowles and Adam Gase. Let's just face it. Both of those guys sucked. They weren't NFL head coaches. And Matt Rule, the Panthers head coach, and Joe Brady, the Panthers offensive coordinator, who was the guy who I think is mainly responsible from a coaching perspective for that LSU national championship a couple years ago. If you watch Joe Burrow, his first year at LSU, he wasn't really that special of a quarterback. Like Going into his senior season, Burrow in mock drafts was getting projected to go in like the fourth or fifth round. And Joe Brady not only made this guy a first round pick, but he made him the best player in college football and led LSU to a national championship. And going into last season in Carolina, right? I had some doubts. I saw Matt Rule and everything that he did at Baylor and everything he did at Temple. And I'm not saying he did a bad job, but I was curious as to why exactly this guy was so high on so many NFL teams' radar. There were so many teams between the Giants and the Jets, I believe Arizona, that were interested in hiring this guy. And I was curious as to why. But now, after a year plus, I'm all in on Matt Rule as not only a head coach, but a talent evaluator. I remember before he even coached a game in Carolina, during the 2020 NFL draft, he spent every single draft pick on defense. Everyone. And why is that? Because he was just trying to build as much depth as possible for a Carolina Panthers defense that really wasn't good. They didn't have any real standout players. And when you look at this 2020 Panther draft class between Derek Brown, who played really well in week one against the Jets, Yitor Grossmatos, the edge rusher from Penn State, he's played well so far this season. Jeremy Chin, one of the better young safeties in the league, uh, he every time I watch him, he pops. I think the Carolina Panthers, the change of this organization started with the hiring of Matt Rule, obviously, and then it continued to their most, uh, the 2020 draft, where they went all in drafting all defensive players. And I think it has really worked so far. Derek Brown has been really good, along with Jeremy Chin, Gross Matos, Troy Pride, a young corner, and others. Then this year, they draft another corner, J.C. Horn, who had an interception in Sunday's game against the New Orleans Saints. I think he has the potential to be a big-time player. And I understand that people are going to look at the Carolina Panthers and everything that they have done so far this season, right? And they're going to say, come on, it was the New York Jets. We saw 
just how bad Zach Wilson looked in his week two game against the New England Patriots. And they're going to look at the New Orleans Saints and say, come on, like I get Jameis Winston played good in week one against the Packers, but that Packer team clearly wasn't ready. They clearly weren't focused. And Jameis Winston, we all know, like he's a turnover machine. But I'm telling you guys this. I believe in the Carolina Panthers to be a wild card team in 2021. I picked it before the season started and I'm not going against it. I think that Sam Darnold was never given a fair, realistic shot to succeed as a quarterback with the New York Jets. Not only was the coaching around him terrible, who are his go-to weapons? I get Robbie Anderson was fine for a couple years, but he the Jets let him go right away. And he was throwing to Jamison Crowder and Denzel Mims, who can't even get on the field for the New York Jets right now, compare that to Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore, and more importantly, the coaching. I'm telling you, Joe Brady is going to be a head coach in the NFL next year. That's how good of an offensive mind he was. And last year, when I watched Carolina with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, and once again, last year, this roster, without really a fully healthy Christian McCaffrey for a majority of the season, it wasn't that good. And the Panthers were way more competitive than I would have ever expected them to. I remember they had a Saturday night game against the Green Bay Packers last year. And keep in mind, this is last year's Green Bay Packers when Aaron Rodgers was playing like the best quarterback in the world, the MVP of the league. Matt Rule almost led the pa- the Panthers with Teddy Bridgewater under center into a win in Lambeau Field in prime time last year against what easily could have been the best team in the NFL from start to finish last year in the Green Bay Packers. And Matt Rule decided to bring in Phil Snow as the Panthers' defensive coordinator. He's a guy who has been around so many college stops. He's been in the NFL for a year. He was a defensive assistant for the Detroit Lions in 2005, and then he was the linebacker's coach in Detroit from 06 to 08. He actually was the linebacker coach for that very famous Detroit Lions team in 2008 that went 0-16, and he has followed Matt Rule from Temple to Baylor to now the Carolina Panthers. And sometimes, right, when it comes to coaching, I feel like we all, as fans, it's easy to judge head coaches based on their performances in games and whether they decide to go for it on a certain fourth down or not. But the thing that has impressed me with Carolina that I feel like not a lot of people talk about is the coordinators. Matt Rule decided, hey, even though I have plenty of friends in the coaching business, I'm sure, I'm going to hire the two guys that I think are the best and the guys that I think are going to get the job done. And Joe Brady left LSU, a place where he would have been beloved. He would have been really the king of the hill there at LSU. And I know Ed Orgeron is the guy, his voice, we all love him. But Joe Brady made Joe Burrow. He was responsible for that turnaround. And I think when you combine that with Sam Darnold and the situation that he is in right now, most importantly, with the weapons that this guy has around him, McCaffrey, Moore, Robbie Anderson. There's some really good players on this Carolina Panther team that I think could help Sam Darnold as a quarterback, along with an improved offensive line. I'm all in with this Panther team. Can they beat the Buccaneers and win the NFC South? Probably not. I think that is a little bit too hefty expectations, but I fully expect Carolina, especially 
after their performance against the New Orleans Saints on Thursday night, uh, on, on Sunday, I expect that to carry over into Thursday night football this week against the Houston Texans. I think Carolina is significantly the better team there. And there is a good mix of veterans and youngsters when it comes to this Panther team. Like, Shaq Thompson is really the only remaining face from that Carolina Panther team a couple years ago that ended up uh, going to the Super Bowl. He's a guy at the linebacker position that could play for my team any day of the week. They bring in Hassan Reddick and Justin Burris, guys that have been in the league a little bit, but they are really getting their first chance here to succeed. And I've been very impressed, and I'm telling you, the Panthers secondary between Dante Jackson at corner, J.C. Horn, the rookie at corner, first-round pick this past year, and Jeremy Chin, that is an underrated secondary. And then pass rushers. Has anyone seen Brian Burns play? Like, this guy, the former Florida State Seminole, is an absolute stud. They also brought in improvements for their offensive line. Pat Elfline and, shockingly, Cam Irvin haven't been terrible. And I am all in with this Carolina Panther team, mostly because of Matt Rule, mostly because of Joe Brady, and their ability to get the most out of quarterbacks. And Sam Darnold, he isn't the best quarterback. But one thing I saw consistently in New York was this guy was just reckless. His decision-making was not good. And in order for that habit to be taught out of you, no matter how much talent you have, you need the proper coaching and the proper adjustments to be made. And I think really, I know it's been two games. That is exactly what Matt Rule and Joe Brady have done with Sam Darnold. He's looked much more relaxed. He's looked looked much more poised. And when you combine uh, the other kid I forgot to mention, Terrence Marshall, the young wide receiver from LSU, we remember him. He played with Joe Brady. He, he's Joe Brady coached him. He can make explosive plays. He hasn't really been able to get going that much yet, but I think eventually he will. And I got to tell you, I am buying stock in the Carolina Panthers uh, as a sleeper team in the NFC. I really am. I think their defense can make plays. I think their quarterback can make plays. Obviously, you have Christian McCaffrey. And just watch out for the Carolina Panthers. They're a team uh, you shouldn't be sleeping on going forward. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast. Episodes will drop multiple times a week as we go over all the most interesting storylines in all of sports. Look forward to talking some football, some college basketball, everything in between. And there is just nothing better than talking sports with you guys on this show. Thanks for listening once again. If you want to get in contact with me, the Instagram, Z-A-C underscore K-R-U-L-L, Twitter at Z-K-R-U-L-L-3, YouTube, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y-K-R-U-L-L. This was the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast. Everyone have a good one.